Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Amen. Father, we pray this morning that your word will speak into our hearts. Lord, challenge us today. Help me to minister your word by your spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. And Father, I pray that you'll speak into every person's life in some way, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 21, we're looking at verse 10 this morning. And it says this, When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Verse 13, it says, It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. Verse 15, but when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. You may have read this story, seen uh, Jesus of Nazareth film, and seen where Jesus arrives at the temple, and he begins to throw some tables around and begins to cause a little bit of havoc, as it were. But just before this, if you were to read just uh, the chapters before, and just before this, uh, this text that we've just read comes up, you will find that as Jesus arrives at the temple, he's not arriving at the temple this day in a bad mood and arriving uh, thinking, I'm going to cause a bit of trouble here today, and I'm going to throw around some tables. When he arrives... That day, he arrives on Palm Sunday. He's on his way, and people are there waving the the tree, the the palm trees. They're welcoming. It says they put their coats on the floor. I don't know if you put your coat on the floor for someone, but they put their coat on the floor, and they welcome Jesus as he comes on this little donkey into uh, Jerusalem. And if I want you to just picture for a moment that there is so much, we know the Easter story, there's so much rejoicing, there's so much praise that the king has come to Jerusalem. Their king, people are acknowledging Jesus for who he is. But then all of a sudden, it's almost like that everything just turns a little bit sour. Because Jesus arrives... We've just read it. He arrives, comes in, everyone's happy. There's a real big uh, kind of welcome for him. I know that I'd love it if I had a welcome like something like that. People waving these trees around, throwing their coats on the floor. Wouldn't it be amazing to have something like that? But as Jesus arrives, he goes into the temple. And the next thing he does, it's like he's changed his mood. And the next thing he does, it says, he goes around and he sees these tables and people selling doves, it says. And exchanging money, and the next thing he does, he begins to throw the tables around and challenging what is happening in the temple. It almost seems as though he's a different man. 
Two different contrasting people. Jesus arriving in this kind of procession, in this welcome, to the next minute he walks into the temple and does this. What does that mean for us today? I'm going to be looking this morning because I believe that in our lives, Jesus wants to come in, even though we have these great times with Jesus, Jesus wants to sometimes show us with his passion to remove things out of our lives. The title of this message today is Turning the Tables. Some of us, when we allow things to come into our lives, 1 Corinthians 6 says this, that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you don't have to worry anymore about any physical building anymore like this temple. The temple that you have to worry about, you're probably thinking, well, does it really matter anymore about what tables were in that temple that day? Does it matter about what, what Jesus did and how righteously angry he got? Does it really matter to me today? Because I ain't got a temple Monday morning when I go into to, to work. I just come to church. But in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, I believe this morning the same principles apply to the same thing that Jesus did in that temple to you today. Inside your body. Thanks be to Jesus that he sent his, he, Jesus came, he allowed his spirit to live inside of us. And we have something to do about that. And I want to encourage you this morning that... I believe that some of us allow different things to come into our lives. And in that temple that day, when Jesus walked in, the first thing he did, he saw these money changers. He saw these people selling doves. And he saw this and he, and he started to scatter these tables around. I don't know if you, you can ever imagine Jesus doing something like this. I don't know if you can imagine that Jesus could ever be like this. But Jesus, let me tell you today, he is not some wimpy person that will just come for some religion. But Jesus was passionate about his people. He was passionate about his father. And this was a man who hung around with fishermen. This was a man who hung around with the ones who were probably had a far more muscle than I've got. This morning, Je- uh, Jacob was saying to me in the car, he said, uh, Daddy, you know, Jaron at church, he's got such big muscles. I said, what about me? I said, it's the drums. He plays the drums far too much. He needs to quieten down a bit, those muscles. He said, he's got big muscles. You know, some of us, sometimes we get this picture in our minds that Jesus is just this kind of feeble, feeble person, this suffering servant. But let me tell you, when he went around doing good and he challenged the people of his day, Jesus was not some wimpy person. Jesus was not some thin person who would have wandered around and people would have abused. He was a man who was strong, I believe. I believe when he went in there, why was it that no one challenged him or stopped him? They watched him and observed as he went with passion and zeal around this temple, showing them what they needed to do with this temple. I want to encourage you today. You come here today. God is not someone who will just treat sin lightly. He will not treat things in our lives lightly. He wants to deal with it. He sent his son for us. Thank God for that. But it's our duty sometimes to do something about sin. It's our duty sometimes to keep our bodies, our temples clean clean and clear from clutter. 
When Jesus, when you got saved, I know what it felt like for me. The, the blood of Jesus washed me and, and I felt clean inside. But then all of a sudden it seems like you go months into your relationship with God and it doesn't take long till you fail. You do something wrong and you feel sinful inside and you feel dirty again. The Bible never tells you that you will never sin again. But it gives us a way out. Last week I thought Lee preached excellently and brought us that word of God that encouraged us that even this year we're going to be tempted. We're going to receive, you're going to feel temptation. Listen to me. I've noticed that the the more God does, the greater things get, the more temptations come. It it, it works that way. The, The enemy wants to tempt us out of the will of God. We sung this morning for vision. The enemy is rearing up ready to give you, to take you off vision. He's ready to to say, I'm going to tempt you with what I can to destroy uh, what God wants to do in your life. And clutter gets in the way. We begin to get these, set up these tables in our lives, in our temple, and we lose the focus. In Revelation, it talks about that we should come back to our first love. Some of us this morning need to come back to our first love. Some of us this morning may be a challenge by the tables in our lives, the things that have got in the way. I want you to turn with me this morning now to 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to look at what Paul says about our bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now Paul, in 1 Corinthians 6, and we pick up in verse 12, he's speaking on sexual immorality. That's his focus. One of the biggest problems of sin is sexual immorality. It's one of the biggest challenges for men and women, maybe because it is something that is a gift from God that has been distorted. So actually, it's a pleasure that you should have when we're married. It's a pleasure we should have, but has been distorted by the enemy. It's one of the things, you know, there's certain things you know that if I said to you today, if you went into work tomorrow and you you went and killed someone or you murdered someone, you know it's wrong. You know it's bad. It's, It's morally wrong. But for something like this, this sexual immorality that Paul addresses, he looks at it because it's amazing to see, but you read Corinthians and you'll see this church was full of the gifts of the Spirit In fact, Paul had to tell them how to control the gifts because everyone was prophesying. You know, there was so much going on in this church. It was an amazing church to be in. However, Paul says to this church that they are carnally minded. He says to them, I can't speak to you like spiritual people because you're like worldly people. That's what he says to them. Imagine that. Imagine a letter from John Partington before he comes next week. I'm not sure I want to come next week because actually I can't speak to you a lot because you're like carnal people. You're like worldly people living in sin. I can't speak to you like spiritual people. That's the kind of letters that Paul sends to the Corinthian church. Let's see what he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 12. He says this. I have the right to do anything you say, he's saying to the people. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, Paul says, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and stomach for the food and God will destroy them both. The body however is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. 
Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. We've heard that many times in weddings. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All of the sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you received from God? You are not on your own. You were bought at a price, therefore... Honor God with your bodies. Paul spoke to these Corinthians about his carnal behavior. As I said earlier in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, he talks at the beginning about, uh, he says that you, you're worldly people. You're like carnal people. I'm finding it difficult to chat to you. And he even says to them, he says, I can't really give you solid food because you you're not getting past the milk. You're not understanding because you, you, you're doing these things. I think it's amazing. We need to remember this, that gifts of the Spirit, a, a church that's, that's uh, moving in the gifts of the Spirit and these kind of things is not representative of our, our measure of, of where we are in sin. The gifts and callings come without repentance. That's, that's because Jesus will give you a gift. If a father gives his son or daughter a gift, he's not going to take it from them. So I want to encourage you today, do not look at gifts as a sign that, that you are uh, righteous with the Lord. His grace covers us. But there is a duty. And I'll tell you these days, there is a message going around and it's, it's called hyper grace that suggests that we can live our lives and just sit back and relax and do what we want. Because he's covered everything. That's true to some degree. But I want to encourage you today. I don't believe that. I don't believe in hyper grace. I believe in repentance. I believe that we need to repent of our sins. We need to turn from our, our wicked ways. And do you know what? You say, well, how do I do that? The Spirit of God helps you to do it. He doesn't say, no, you've sinned this many times. He wants to see a heart that turns that looks away from sin, that looks away from evil desires and lusts. And I can tell you every single person in this room, including me today, struggles with this. We struggle with sin every day of our lives. We're in a constant battle. Last week we talked about it, that we're in a constant battle with the flesh and the spirit. I'll never forget when, I've said it before, uh, when I was a young young lad, I used to sit in the back of the car, listen to my mum and dad, listen to Christian songs, and I'd be sitting there listening. My dad used to play Amy Grant and all the old classics. I love them still. But he used to play this song, and, and it was about, he said, um, there's a battle going on, and I'm thinking, it doesn't sound good to be a Christian if there's a battle going on. I don't know if I want to be a Christian when I grow up, Dad. If you've got some battle, and he'd be singing in the car, singing about some battle, between him and the, uh, the, the flesh and the spirit. And I'm thinking, what is all this about? I don't know if I want to battle. Listen to me. We said it last week. When you invite Jesus into your life, what will happen is this. It will expose darkness. It will, you will see it, see it for what it is. Then the battle begins. I'm afraid to say that the rest of your life you're in a battle. Thankfully, you know that there's a battle. Before, I didn't realize there was one. So I was living in the darkness. I want to encourage you today. 
that we need to live a holy life. We need to seek holiness in our lives. We need to be clean inside. And that is means for us, we need to make sure that the clutter, the things we set up in the temple, is gone. Because let me tell you, I believe Jesus wants to come in here today and he maybe wants to challenge you. You may have had your worship time waving your palm trees, but maybe he wants to come, not in anger, but in a way he wants to show you in your heart the stuff that's in your temple, in your body, in your life that's cluttering and messing up what he wants to do with it. You may have been waving the branches, but God is here right now. He's just come in. And he's speaking into our hearts to challenge us on these things that get in the way. What can affect our temple, our body today? The first thing I want to bring is this. That we need to re- you need to review your limits. Review your limits. Jesus entered the temple in verse 12 and it says he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Listen to me. These things that they were selling on these tables were totally harmless. Doesn't you think it's a little bit wrong of Jesus to wander in there and start throwing tables around with money on and then start throwing the doves around? You'll see also in the book of John it talks about the same, uh, another instance of this where Jesus goes into a temple and it says there's cattle there and he gets a little bit angry and there's money flying everywhere. Listen, it sounds like a good movie, doesn't it? But he goes in and he does all this. Don't you think it's a little bit unfair? Because not one of these people has seemed to be doing anything wrong. They're just changing money. I mean, would you like it if you arrived in your holiday destination and the, uh, and, and Jesus was there with you and you, you went up in the trap, the currency exchange, he was trashing the currency exchange, you wouldn't be happy, would you? You see, Jesus went in and it, to, to some it may look as though, why is he doing this? But listen, these things were seemingly harmless. Let me tell you what they were doing. They were selling doves because they were selling doves for sacrifice. In the temple of that day, they needed to sell the doves. As it records in John, they were selling cattle to take in. So people would arrive. How many of you, sometimes you get somewhere and you forgot what you need, and you arrive and you get there and you think, oh, I forgot this, I need this. They were there ready to sell the cattle. Oh, have you got your cattle for the sacrifice? No, I forgot. Well, here's one, sir. And they'd bring out the cattle. They'd bring out the doves. Then the money changers were there because they needed to be there because they realized that people came and brought their temple tax. And they needed their temple tax changed because some people needed change. So these people thought, well, there's a business here. Well, let's do some money changing so that when people come with their drachma, we can change the drachma and we can give them their their change so they can pay their temple tax, their annual temple tax. These things seemed normal. But what they were doing is they were polluting the temple. The money changers were beginning to make money from this. And the people selling does were beginning to make excess amounts because they were selling above the cost of what they should be. Why do I say this? Because in your life, you allow things to clutter your lives. You set up tables that you think are so harmless. Sin comes in. You do things and you begin to tell yourself that this is okay. You begin to tell yourself that these things are not harming me. And before you know it, you have all these things in your life. These things clutter your lives. Just like them, they probably wondered, why on earth is he throwing these tables across? You know, a few years, uh, not a few years back, we went to Rhodes uh, on holiday and we visited uh, the, a place called the Acropolis in Lindos. If anyone's ever been there, and you can go to the top 
uh, of this, this Acropolis to look at it. One thing I love about Lindos is this, that there's lots of information about the fact that Paul may, Apostle Paul may have visited there. So years ago we went to Lindos and we saw the Acropolis. We looked at it, we viewed it, and then years later, I think it's 13 years later, we went back last year to visit with our children. So we take them back to, to go. And we, one day we said, we're going to go to the Acropolis. We're going to go and have a look at this place where, you know, St. Paul's. And I'm telling the kids, you know, this is where Paul you, you, it may have come in on, this, on the sea. And I'm getting really excited about it, telling them. And they're like thinking, you know, when can we go home? And I'm getting really excited about this trip to the Acropolis. And so we went down and we arrived there. And uh, we, we begin to walk up the hill. And we remember, we've been there 13 years ago. So we arrive at the top of this Acropolis. And it's, listen to me, it's about 150 degrees. It is hot. It is very, very hot. I've got my flip-flops on and my shorts. Get that image out of your mind. But I'm coming to the top now. And I'm climbing these rocks. And the kids are saying, Dad, where are we going? And I'm saying, trust me, it's going to be great. I came here 13 years ago. It should be even better now. They're actually restoring the Acropolis. So you'll see even more restoration. Uh, they're doing stonework restoration. Steve would have loved it. And we, we got to the top. And I, I get around this corner. And I couldn't believe my eyes. 13 years on, and they'd set up some modern kiosks to start charging. I thought, where did this come from? This wasn't here. So he says, what's this? And I said, oh, they're charging now. Now it's six pounds to get in each. I thought, wow, this stone must be costing quite a bit. So we went up, and then we all paid our money. I paid for the whole family. I'm at this question point, do I bother? Or do we go back down to the bottom? And I said, let's pay, we'll go in. So we go through, the, through into the Acropolis. We're looking around. I honestly couldn't see much difference from the last 13 years. I was trying, and, uh, from the sun, and the kids, they're getting really distressed. And they're looking at me. We're going to at least stay 30 minutes, even if it's cooking, taking photographs. I, I tell you, if I looked at the photographs today, from 13 years ago, I don't think they'd be any different. But I was getting my value for money. And the kids were saying, when are we, all they wanted to know is, when are we going back down to the sea? And every, everyone else, I'm looking around at families, looking with kids who don't seem bothered at all. And I'm saying, do you know this is where Paul may have come in on the water? And, and he's saying, who's Paul? And I'm saying, you know, in the Bible. And I'm getting so excited. I'm taking all these pictures of the sea thinking that's where the boat might have just come in. It's getting really hot. And, and, and so I, I'm having a good time. And so then we leave the Acropolis. We walk out of this place, this tourist place, and we, we leave out. And then the next thing that happens is this. They're ready for you. They know you're coming. How many of you know when you go on holiday? They, they seem to know everything that you're going to do already. It's all planned out. They watch you on the beach. Do you want a watch? Yes. They, they're ready for you. They know you're coming. It's all ready. This historical site that I had so much, you know, I, I loved and I'm thinking about as Paul coming there. They're, they're just destroying my whole journey. The next thing is they've got some authentic donkeys Right at the top, these are real donkeys, right at the top that the kids or adults can travel on. They cost about, I don't know, five pounds each to get back down. So I've spent six to get in, and I need to spend five to get to the bottom. And the kids, it's obvious the kids are going to say, I want to go on the donkeys. So now it's a question, do we pay for the donkeys? So we decide disaster. And I actually thought, I am going to lose my children. The children are with these people. I have no idea who they are. We get to the bottom of the Acropolis. And then we walked in, and as soon as we arrive into Lindos, into this village, we get off the, the donkeys. Let me tell you what the kids wanted to do. They weren't interested in the Acropolis. They'd seen it. Now, 
the kids wanted to buy a toy donkey to replicate what they'd just been on. So the journey then was to find a donkey that was like the one that they just traveled on. So then we went, we bought the donkey. The next time I went back to Lindos, they wanted to get another one because they said, actually, there's groups of them. There's not just one. There's groups of donkeys. I need more than one donkey. I said, you don't, you don't need any donkey. Let me tell you, the donkey's never been used since we've got home. Why do I say this? Because what was a historical site, what for me was going to be some pleasure, let me tell you, people start to lose the emphasis of what it's all about. The clutter gets in the way. And all of a sudden, what should be some historical site of value, what should have been something that had so much history wrapped behind it, what had some meaning in this Acropolis, all of a sudden become some tourist attraction that they knew exactly what people wanted and they benefited from it. In our lives today, we set up these things. And do you know what we do? We get used to the profit of these things. We get used to the profit of our sins and pleasures. We get used to the profit of what we enjoy from them. We enjoy the profit of sin. We enjoy the profit of the things we let into our lives. And we find it hard to get rid of them. Because we enjoy them. I want to encourage you today that these people, although they were making profit, they were destroying this historical site. And for you today, maybe you're enjoying the profits of your sin. You can't even, you don't even want to give up this, these things in your life because you enjoy them so much. Some of us need today to review our limits. We set limits when we got saved of what we would do. We set limits in our lives of what we would do, what films we would watch, the kind of level of the things we would do in our lives. We'd say, I'm not going to watch these TV programs because the Spirit of God would start to show us this is not good to watch. It wasn't you deciding it. The Spirit of God would show you in your heart, this is not a good thing to look at. You need to stay away from these places where these things are going on. And I know when I got saved, that began to happen to me. The Spirit of God began to direct me away. But do you know what happens? We begin to enjoy certain sins. We let them back into our lives. We enjoy the profit from them. And before you know it, your boundaries, your limits have changed. I want to question today, what is your limits? Have you checked your and reviewed what your limits are? Are they the same as when you first let Christ into your life? If you don't know Christ today, if you don't know Jesus as your own personal savior, I want to encourage you. That God wants to come in and he will set by his spirit those limits. But it won't be to restrict you, it will be to free you. The Corinthians took the grace card as do what you like. I can do what I like and it doesn't really matter. But Paul said this, I have the right to do anything. He didn't say I'm doing anything. He says I've got the right to do anything just like you've got because of grace and freedom. I've got the right, but I will not be mastered by anything. I want a question today. Is your profit of your sin, is the things you enjoy mastering your life? Because that's where the problem is. 
When we do these things, when we get involved in sin, righteous gossip, going to work and thinking, I enjoy those conversations. They make me feel good when I start talking about someone at work. I love to do it because I know that I feel good about myself. The more I put someone else down, the better I feel. So this is my profit. This is my new table. I'm going to set this up. I'm going to enjoy Monday morning when I get into work, when we're around the coffee machine. This is my place where I know that we're going to put the boss down. We're going to put this person down. This is what I get because it makes me feel better. But these things will slowly take over our lives and master us. God wants us to re-look re at our limits, our borders, our boundaries, and check them again. If we don't do this, our faith becomes tarnished. If it becomes tarnished, and do you know what happens? The next thing is this. I'll tell you what happens. We feel depressed. If you want to know what happens at the other side of sin when you let sin master you, it will leave you depressed. You wonder why there is so much depression in the world today. It's because a lot of the reasons, this is just one of them, but a big reason, is that it will leave us feeling low because we are mastered by it and we become a slave to sin. I want to encourage you that we don't need to be a slave to sin because we're children of the living God. He set us free from the power of sin. And he gives us an opportunity to walk away from it. We heard that last week in temptation. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14, it says this, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. In other words, I want to encourage you. You cannot, Paul says here, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now some of you are thinking, well I've got a problem there because I've got family members who I've just spent Christmas with. Are you telling me that I can't have any more contact with my family? Paul was never saying that. Paul was saying this, don't be unequally yoked. If you know what it is to be yoked, it is to have a yoke around your neck and to wander around doing exactly what other people are doing. What we need to do, we are to be with the people of the world, people who have not chosen to follow Jesus. We're to be with these people. God has called us, if you want to preach the gospel, then you're going to have to be with them. If you're going to have to tell them about Jesus, you're going to have to be with them. But the key is this, that you are not unequally yoked. That we don't wander around and we get doing the things, falling into the temptations that the world does and changing our limits. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying again, remember the temple that you've got to worry about is your body. And your body's going to get affected if you unequally yoke yourself. In other words, if you get a yoke and you've got it around your neck and you wander around with people who do not believe in Jesus, you will end up allowing some of their ways to tarnish your faith. You will set up the tables that they have and enjoy the profit from them. But I encourage you today, you don't have to do that. You can set up your limits, be strong in the Lord so that they look at you and they acknowledge in you that you've chosen to follow Jesus. That you've chosen to live a life free from sin. God wants us to maintain our limits. And do you know what our limits, I said it earlier, they're set by the Holy Ghost. I don't set the limits. I'll tell you, when I got, became a Christian, 
I didn't come to church and all of a sudden somebody gave me this list and said, you've joined the church, so here's a list of all of the rules now as a Christian that you've got to follow. I, I came to church and the Spirit of God showed me the boundaries. I love it. I don't have to tell anyone necessarily what they should and shouldn't do. That's not my job. But the Spirit of God, when we preach the Word of God, truth comes. It will reveal sin. It will reveal the Spirit of God. If you're in a church where the Spirit of God's active, it will show you what you shouldn't be doing. We shouldn't change the limits and the boundaries that were set by the Holy Ghost. Not by me or anyone for that matter. In Proverbs 22, 28, it says this, Do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your ancestors. Well, I want to go further on that and say, don't move an ancient boundary stone set by our ancestor, and that is Christ himself. He sets the standards in our lives. We should look for holiness and righteousness. In this generation today, people think it's out of date. To follow the, the ways of God. To follow holiness and righteousness. People say it's out of date. It's out of touch. But I want to encourage you today. The Holy Spirit is not out of date. Jesus said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, he's never changed. And I, I, I can't stand it when I hear people on TV. I heard it the other night with things that are coming out at the moment. And, and, and people changing their views on culture and the way we should live now. And the way we should live in our society, putting down Christians and and suggesting that we are out of date. Listen to me. We are not out of date. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And when he returns, when he comes, they will see with their own eyes. They will see and know. And it says every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. Not every tongue will say you're out of date. Every tongue will realize he is the ancient of days. He is the beginning and the end. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the one, as we sung this morning, who made you. They will see it. They will know with their eyes. They will see and they'll know in their hearts that, they've, that they're the ones who wounded him. I want to encourage you today, if you do not know Jesus... Let him come inside your life. He wants to come inside your temple today and live and reside inside of you. Number two today is regain control. What happens is this. When we give over to these things, we allow these tables to come into our lives. What happens next is this. That the guys who'd set up these tables in this temple, they'd lost control. They had lost control. When you allow these things to master you, When they come into your lives and they master your life, what happens is this. You have just given over the driving seat to the enemy. You're saying, here's the keys, I'll sit in the passenger seat. If you live in our car, you wouldn't want to be in the passenger seat when Emma's driving. I much prefer to be in the driving seat, I'm only joking. I'm so much better driver, you see. We've got a problem at the moment because in our car, we've got a problem with the glove box. So we can't turn on and off the airbag so easily. And Emma likes to leave the airbag off as default for the children who sit in the front. But I keep telling her that I am the one who sits most in the front. So most of the time, I'm driving down the motorway at whatever speed. And we're going down and I'm saying, the airbag's not on. She says, yeah, I turned it off for the kids. And I'm thinking, well, I hope we don't have an accident then. So we have to stop and keep turning this on and off. But I want to encourage you, I prefer to be in the driving seat in my life. With God there with me. 
not out of control, where I give the keys to the enemy and I say, you can drive for me. Listen to me. Sin will do this. When we set up these things in our lives, the enemy wants to come in and take hold of our control. We're deceived and we wander into this. The second commandment in Exodus 20 says this, that we make God in our own image. That's what happens. When you begin to let these things, what they've done is they've turned this temple into their own image of what the temple should be. Jesus came in and said, listen, don't you realize this temple's nothing like it's supposed to be? You've messed it all up. You're doing it all wrong. And what they were doing is they were making God in their own image. And we can do the same in our lives. We allow things to come in and we make a God in our own image that pleases ourselves. And we become blind again. How many times does Jesus say that he came to restore the blind? He's not just talking about physically, he's saying so that the blind will see. In other words, spiritually. So that we will see. And listen to me, when you lose control, you start to lose your sight again. Spiritually. You start to give over control, you lose your vision and sight and your direction in life. Because you're giving over the keys to the enemy. When I was a young lad... I'll never forget my dad used to say this to me. I went to um, a shop with him and, and, and said, Dad, uh, can I, I asked him for something in a shop. And, and I know what it's like now when my kids are asking me for things all the time. And you go to a shop, it's difficult to say no. And, the, and my dad, I went into the shop. I said, Dad, I want this. And he would not buy this thing for me. And I'm like, Dad, I really want it. And I'll never forget, in, back in the day, my dad used to have a Volkswagen Beetle. And then the, the car, the seats uh, in the back, you could reach over. It was just one low front seat or, or, or the seats you could reach over into the front. And I was sat in the back and I'll never forget, my dad always reminds me of this. And I was driving into the center of the village where my dad lived. And my dad, I'm saying, Dad, please turn around and go and buy me the thing. And my dad's saying, no, you've had your spending money. You're not having any more. And I'll never... I'll never forget what I did. Instead of just saying, oh, getting upset and crying, I had decided to put my hands over my dad's eyes while he was driving towards a roundabout. But the problem is my dad couldn't do anything but shake his head and shout as loud as he could. And he always reminds me of the fact that when I didn't get my own way, that I covered his eyes. I didn't realize how much, how dangerous this was. He was heading towards a roundabout in a Volkswagen Beetle. He'll never, he'll never let me forget that. But listen to me. This is what happens some, some of us in our lives. We're driving along. We let the enemy come in. We lose control. And then it's like we become blind again. And listen, if you haven't got your eyes, such a small part of your body in a car when you're driving, if you've not got these eyes, then you're going to crash. You're going to crash. Your eye is so important, yet it's so small in your body. And it's so important that you can see where you're going. All the engine, everything, the power's there. The car can move. It's be, uh, this beautiful car can move along the road. You can change the gears. You can do everything else. But if your eye can't see, you're going to crash. And this is what happens. We become blind again. What our eyes look at is important. I want you to look at this. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 to 24. And I want to paraphrase this. Because Jesus talks about the eye being the lamp of the body. What we let in. And he says this, verse 22, my paraphrase included, he says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. Our temple, in other words. 
The eye is the lamp of our temple. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body, temple, will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body or temple will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Talking about money, but same principle. Our eyes are the opening. They're the access to our temple. We've got to protect them, what we look at, what we see. And we've got to regain control of our lives again. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul said this, didn't he? He said, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute, he says. Paul used the analogy of a prostitute. In other words, he says, do you realize that when you accept Jesus into your life, just hear this for a moment. But when you accept Jesus into your life, if your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, then when we sin, what we do is we release the members of the temple and we give them over. We we give them over like to a prostitute. Listen to me. Jesus is the bridegroom. He's coming and you are the bride. That's what it describes. The Bible describes that we are the bridegroom. We heard it this morning that he is coming soon. The Bible describes in Revelation that the bridegroom will return, that is Jesus, for his bride, the church. And as a body, we are, we are this bridegroom waiting. But listen... Because we are married to him through our faith, through our faith in Jesus, we have decided to follow him. We've come into, in, in united in one spirit, just like it is in one flesh. If we are married in flesh, we've given ourselves over to him, we're one. And then when we give our parts of our body over to sin and, 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 and things that we shouldn't be doing, what we're doing is this, we're prostituting ourselves. That's what Paul says, not me. We're effectively giving ourselves over like to a prostitute. When Jesus says, do you not know that the members, the members of your body are part of Christ himself? That's what Paul said. We need to be united with him in one spirit. Jesus turned the tables in that room to turn people back to him. That's why he did it. Not to get angry. He never said that Jesus was angry. He never said Jesus started to get really, really cross and shout at everyone. He told, he, he tells us what he did. But listen to me. He turns the tables to turn the people back to him. He's passionate about you. Some of us today have lost control. Some of us today are feeling depressed and low. We feel that we've lost the control because of sin. I want to encourage you that there is a way out. Jesus gives us a way out. In Genesis chapter 4 verse 6, if you read it, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's sons, famous pair, when Cain comes to bring his sacrifice to God, it says this, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry Cain? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do what is, if you not do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Jesus gave Cain a way.
to master sin. And look at what, there it is again. Sin is waiting at the door. It's crouching at the door, waiting to have us. But look what it says, that Cain was downcast. In other words, depressed. He tried fooling God. He tried giving his offering that was not like Abel's. But he he was sinning in his heart. But listen, sin will never make you happy. It will always make you depressed. Finally, number three, and this is the key. And maybe for you today, and this is the way forward. If we do these other two things, if we begin to look and identify, Paul says we should examine ourselves. We should look at ourselves in our life and look at what the limits are in our life. Regain the control by repenting and turning from our sin. If we do these two things, the final thing that Jesus did when he went to this place, he shifted all these tables and it says this in verse 13 to 14. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer. In other words, he was saying to them, get back to prayer. Get back to communion with me. If you want to be an overcomer, listen, you might think, well, what is the the words this morning are defeating? I feel like I am that person. Listen, Jesus gives you a way forward and it is this communion with him. When we come to him and when we bring prayer back into our lives, when we have that deep communion with him, he will help us to overcome temptations, help us and reveal the sin in our lives. But do you know what happens? When we're downcast and we feel depressed, we lose the intimacy with God. We don't focus on intimacy anymore. We lose that intimacy with him. I want to encourage you today that just as he went in that place and he he moved these tables around, shifted and turned these tables, he said this, he said, my house will be a house of prayer. He's saying that to some of us today. Some of us have lost our prayer lives. Some of us, the clutter's got so big in our lives, the tables and the profit of what we enjoy has got so big that you can't even pray anymore. You can't talk to God about the sin anymore because there's so much of it. And that's what he was saying. In other words, get rid of all this trash. Get rid of all this and, and, and refocus again and bring back communion prayer. Jesus had passion for this. I want to ask you today, have you abandoned your prayer life? Have you abandoned this intimacy with God, this deep connection that he's allowed through the Holy Spirit? We read it earlier that he's put his spirit inside of us. If you notice this, that straight after, he shoves these tables over and he moves everything out of the way. And then he says, my house will be a house of prayer. Do you know the next thing happens in verse 14? The next thing that happens is this. He says, the blind and the lame were healed. So, did you see? He comes in. He's had this great entrance. He goes in. His attitude changes. He goes in and he, he shows his his requirements for following him. He's saying, this is what you need to do. You need to get back to prayer. You need to have that passion. You need to get rid of the clutter and defocus. Get rid of the things that you're profiting from. And then all of a sudden he walks over and the people who can't physically see with their eyes, they get healed. The lame who can't walk get healed. In other words, there were in that temple that day people who weren't setting up tables. They were hungry and passionate looking for the Savior. He says the children were singing Hosanna to him. There was commotion. I don't know where you're at today. Are you so busy behind your table making profit over your sin 
that you don't even see who Jesus is anymore. Jesus went across and he went to those who were looking for him and he healed them. And he was right there with them. I want to be like those who are the lame ones and the ones who are blind. The ones who are hungry to see Jesus. The kids that were singing. You read it straight after they were singing and they were saying, Hosanna. There was commotion. They loved Jesus. God is calling you back today. You may have lost your way to get back into prayer again. Get back into communion. This year, make a decision Not just to read your Bible, that is the key thing. Get into the Word of God, but listen, get back to the prayer life. Get back in the quiet place with God. Not just prayer meetings, get into the quiet place with God. Begin to tell Him some of the struggles and the problems you've got. The problem is that when the sins get too big, we can't share them with Him anymore because we feel we can't approach Him. I want to encourage you today, get back into prayer. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul said that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. But he says this, you're not on your own. You were bought with a price. In other words, if he says your temple is the Holy Spirit, your, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you're not on your own. In other words, he is there with you. He's there. He wants to talk to you about these things. But some of us are so focused on the things that we've led into our lives. I want to encourage you today to get back to that place of intimacy and prayer. It is so key. It is so key. Maybe you have given up on prayer. For some reasons, you find it difficult to pray. You find it hard to pray. I want to tell you the best thing you can do this year as you go into 2016 is to say to God, if I want vision, I want to see where I'm going in my life. I'm going to, I'm going to refocus again. I'm going to look to you. And I'm going to get into that place where I can pray and chat to you like I used to do. I can spend time with you and know your presence. Know your nearness. And not focus on my sins. I want to encourage you today. God is speaking to some. He's showing you the things. You've got different tables than what I've got. I've got my tables. I've got my challenges. But he's asking some of us today to pack up the tables. Question is, are you, when Jesus went in that day... I wonder whether there were some who, when he knocked over the tables, were picking up the the money and resetting the table back up again. I can picture it now. Some saying, what on earth is this guy doing? And I can see that as Jesus probably went over, this is my view, as Jesus went over and he healed the blind and he healed the lame, in that temple, the same scene, I can imagine in the background, background shot, these guys setting up the tables again, putting the money back where it was. Quite shameful, but find it hard not to leave that behind and to pack up the stuff and to focus on Jesus. I want to ask you today, you can hear this message. Will you let God turn the tables in your life? Or are you going to reset them back up again? Because you enjoy the profit of them far more than him. Let's stand. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.